Summer of Test Cricket is back and so is the podcast after a week break. Welcome to episode 9 to all the listeners. Um, I'm very welcome to present uh, Will Stibbs, the coach of Uni Cricket, as well as my co-host Corey, for a special three-piece podcast. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Maxie. Thanks, Maxie. Great to be here. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad. We, we had to give Stibber his own spot on the show. Yeah, we couldn't. We I couldn't have the chair next to me filled by anyone because I think Stibbs has to have it. But then again. How are we going to control Steve's for 40 minutes if it's no, just him? No, let me set that straight. You're not controlled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not here to be controlled. Actually, it's quite good that I'm, I'm, I'm a nine episode because I went number nine on my shirt. Well, Will Jack's yeah. number as well? Well, only because I allow him to have it. Yeah, okay, fair know, play. But, uh, um, yeah, so I think it's uh, the numbers are lining up for this show. Should be good. Okay. Should Sweet. be the best one of the year then, <laughs> hopefully. Fingers oh, crossed. We can review straight up. Where are we sitting this weekend? Oh, in the ones. Um, late fight back from numbers uh, from Sean Stewart and a couple of tail enders helped us get to 215. Um, Dave Moody then took the, a wicket on the last ball of the day to get rid of John Wells, which is a really crucial wicket. Yeah. So they're one for 32 in reply. So it's going to be a bit of a scrap on Saturday. Um, in the twos, I believe it was uh, Perth batted all day, made six for 380. Right. Um, I heard one of Dan Moore's sixes that got hit off him still hasn't come down yet. So <laughs> Moore is still <laughs> trying to talk that down all week. Moore, it's okay. We get hit for big ones every now and then. And then the threes, Stibber, do you know the threes? The weekend yeah. Um, uh, Thorny and Howie had a lot of fun with the wicketkeeper knees, who they've got a lot of history okay. with. And uh, Thorny was very lucky not to report reported. But um, uh, they made 100, well, we made 180. And uh, it'll be an interesting game, that one, this week. Yeah. yeah. And then fours, I left at lunch and we were two for 67 and Noel Raymond told me that we were going to make 250. And I came back an hour and a half later and we were filming and we were all out also for 92. <laughs> well done, Noel. <laughs> That's the greatest mocker I've ever heard. And the nicest thing this evening is Noel blamed his son, Jake, and Start of the rot. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> oh, that's awesome. Let's that <laughs> okay, let's get straight into our guest here. Yeah. Will, tell us a little bit about your career as a player. Oh, oh that's an interesting one. Right? Where, where did you start playing? Oh, mate, I'm a junior. Uh, there's no doubt I'm a junior. So I played my first game of seniors at East Doncaster when I was, which is in Melbourne, Melbourne so yeah. like a suburban hardwood at Com. Yep. I played in the fourth grade there um, with a guy. The captain was a colonel in the army, and I was 11 years old, and we would sit in the back of his panel van whilst waiting to bat, and he would tell us if the cricket oval was a battlefield, how he would strategically place his tanks to win the battle. Okay. Yeah, so that was a very... Uh, One of those. <laughs> very different That's start. An interesting start to fourth grade <laughs> so cricket. Got, at age of 11, I got a, a lesson in tank warfare. Um, I then uh, I then played school cricket for what you would call Darlow over here. We mm-hmm. called it um, AGSV over there. I played five and my grammar. My coach then was uh, Frank Tyson, the uh, famous English bowler. Um, I had a pretty good um, school career. I was a bit of a, a young, dynamic player. Um, I played district cricket for Collingwood in the, and won a fourth grade premiership for him. 
I play, then went to Melbourne Uni. That, back then, if you went to Melbourne Uni to study, you had to play for Melbourne Uni. Right. So I got forced transition to, to, to go and play at Melbourne Uni and uh, played twos there. I was on the verge of being selected for ones there at, at the age of 18, and uh, that's when I came over to WA. I then got selected in the fours in the UWA, and uh, actually I got my first week game when, uh, you know the... Um, the the, oh, the Richard Morgan Trophy that they give out each year for the best first year player. The yes, chap who yeah, fell off the balcony. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I got my first game because he fell off the balcony and died that week, and so there was a there was a gasp up spot on the team. So wow, <laughs> I got a game that week. So I remember that really vividly. Um, and then I, obviously I came through the ranks pretty quickly. Interesting story about playing ones here. I jumped from thirds into ones. I'd never played second tier before. I True big dog, Matt. <laughs> Don't worry about twos. <laughs> so, the, the, the skipper had seen me play up at Scarborough on the opposite field when I was playing thirds and I was dominating. So they said, oh, no, just come straight at once. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was an interesting time because back then helmets had only just come in. Okay. And uh, you didn't have a grid. Some, something with that plastic thing, but it was almost impossible yeah. to see through that plastic yeah. thing. So, um, yeah, we faced a lot of quick bowling without really head protection. And um, that was a different era because without head protection, everybody was trying to hit you in the head, you know, so it was a lot more bounces. You guys don't face anyone near the amount. And it would have been different as well because you wouldn't have had, coming from threes to ones, you wouldn't have had a lot of experience playing that sort of bowling. As no, a kid, first no. grade bowling. Yeah, so. yeah, it was very intimate. And that was yeah. back then when the Shield seasons were shorter, so the big dogs actually played a lot of yeah. first grade cricket. Yeah, and racism was rife. You know, so, you know, I was a black son, so mm-hmm. in all my, <laughs> my cricketing career, even though, you know, I've just got olive skin. Um, but, yeah, it's really interesting because years later when I played in the West Indies, I was called a white boy, so I'm never quite sure which, <laughs> which, which colour you are. I fit in, you know. So, but, yeah, cricket's come a long way in, in the 25 years I've been involved. So, yeah. Do you think that the university, because I think that rule was here at the uni before, if you played, if you went to uni here, you played for the club. Yeah, in the 70s. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. yeah. And we yeah. won a couple of premierships that year. We that won all the premierships yeah. on, the, on the back of that rule. Was that, did that change it because we were doing so well? That's right. Yeah, we won some sort of 18, 15 years. Right. And they were like, no, we can't have this anymore. Yeah. So they wrecked us for <laughs> so 40 they, years. So <laughs> they came strung us for 40 years and we're, we're just coming back now. So, yeah. Okay. What cap number are you for the club? 365. It's really yeah. easy to remember because it's the same amount of days in a year. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I like that. Um, which is funny because what are we up to now? About 505, 5, 11 or 
if you go on Sydney Harbour, if you go to Sydney or been to Sydney, yeah, I have okay, it, yeah. you know you've got the big restaurant right, around. Mm -hmm. The biggest one that's there, I built that. My first job was I was the project manager for that, so I know every inch of that boat. I lived that boat for almost three years. So I crawled in at the bottom tanks, so I put the mirrors on, the mirrors are now warped, the uh, kitchens had Ventilation problems, the kitchens, the cooks, the, the chefs complain that the, yeah. the, the, the kitchens are at 60 degrees because the ventilation doesn't work. So, everything about that boat, I know it, and I spent three years of my life building it. Yeah, so. That's actually that's a good story. first job out of high school? First, actually, I flew over the other day. It was a, um, a, a limestone mine up in the hills. Okay. And it was a, like a, I had to make the, the batching plant. But once they, um, they, they mined the, the limestone and they put it on the conveyor belt up to make the batching plant that, that put the, the stuff into the trucks. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I had to drive out to the hills every day and sit in this horrible little donger. And uh, um, first few weeks, no one was there, so I just read the paper and sat there yeah. looking at the, the hills for, for three weeks. And then we got started. And uh, um, I didn't last very long in that job. I didn't really enjoy it that much. Uh, then we went to work in boatyards and uh, started building boats for about the next three or four years. Mm -hmm. So before I quit to go and play cricket. Do you own a boat? No, I would never own a boat. That's a. I'll give. I'll give you young players a tip. Why should I don't like boats? If it flies or it's. Uh, flies or um, floats, it's not not a valuable investment. Okay. I've heard. Yeah, no. I can tell you right now, don't ever buy a boat. Just if you want to use a boat for a day, rent it off someone. You can charter them for not much. Right? But don't ever think that a boat is a good thing to buy. It'll just cost you money like you wouldn't believe. Well, that's first piece of advice on the podcast. And Piper Cleary going back on last week who <laughs> bought a boat. <laughs> Silly investment, Piper. <laughs> Actually, shout out to Piper. She had surgery on her thumb yesterday, so I hope she's feeling a bit better today. Okay. Next question. What is your favourite thing and least favourite thing about the club? Do you have, I wouldn't think you have oh, a least favourite thing. That's a tough question. Um, favourite thing is I love walking into James Oval every time. I, it's just the most magnificent mm -hmm. place. And I love the camaraderie that we've created in this club. Yeah. It, it probably wasn't there when I first started back as a coach. Yeah. But the, the fun that we have as a group now is something that um, I really cherish. Yeah. Um, least favourite thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, just one. Just one. Uh, okay, the least favorite thing about this thing back at the club was the environment that I run back into. Yeah. yeah, it was not fun, and it was um, it was a little bit dog eat dog, and not the environment that I remember from university. So yeah, yeah, that was probably my least favorite thing of this particular. Speak, speaking of fun things, can you run us through the Alex Rose incident tonight at training? Because <laughs> it was the funniest thing I think I've witnessed at training ever. So Rosie's walked in and self like patted up, fully kitted out, and he's self-proclaimed that he's going to make him his net a live net. So if he gets out, he's going to unpad and go back and field. So as you think what would happen at it, it happened. Uh, Stibber gets the first ball to him and proclaims, this is going to be a really short net, flings him the first ball, 
squares him up, sneak up to the keeper. <laughs> right? The whole club, the whole, the whole, everyone's just lost at laughing, set Rosie off, Rosie's packed his gear off and then left to go on field. One good thing I think we've made at the club yeah. is I, I enjoy going to training. Mm. And I think that's something about a career club which is really important. I think with footy, so I play footy for uni as well, it's not as important because you're running around and you're not really speaking as much. Mm. But cricket, I think it's really important that you actually want to go to training. I think that's something we've kind of nailed down well. Yeah, well, this raises an interesting topic and one I'm going to throw at you tonight, okay. Max, is because I don't reckon you actually like cricket that much. <laughs> I, like, I like training more than playing. Well, this is the thing. So, so my, my question to you is, and I like this debate tonight, actually, um, is cricket a good game? I've thought about this. <laughs> <laughs> I think every cricketer on the face of the earth has thought this through yeah. many a time. Is cricket a good game? I think if you're a cricketer, yeah. you spend so much time by yourself in the field and with your teammates talking about stuff that you actually inadvertently become a deep thinker. Mm. So I think that conversation is only possible because you're actually playing cricket. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't think, like, I lo- like, I'm a genuine cricket enough, so I like cricket, but what gets you going when you're not enjoying cricket is the fact you get to rock up. And because it's slow, so slow paced, you've got so much time to talk with your mates. So, like, you don't play. Like, if we're batting and I'm batting 10 or 11, I've got the whole day to slowly talk to the other 10 blokes who've come in and like they're either out there batting and you can run them water and stuff but the yeah. rest of them you're sitting there you talking love running best in the water too. Yeah. you love yeah. team it's, it's a team <laughs> thing <laughs> it's a team thing it's, I'm a huge no, I just don't want them to have dehydration so you've got to run the things because yeah. if I was going to bat number one and bat all day which I'd, I'd want to do someday along the lines I would love water every so often and call for gloves every time I could possibly do it so if I would like it, I've got to reciprocate and give it. Yeah. I think on that kind of deep thinking note, yeah. when you're having a bad spell of cricket, you really do get down a bit. Oh, no question. Because I've thought about this. Even the best cricketers, like let's say the best batsman, Virat Cole, in the world, right? He's on average fails two out of every three innings. So the absolute best you can do in the world right now is perform one out of every yeah. three innings, right? That's the best player in the world. So we're not the best players in the world, right? So we're probably going to fail more than that. So you're probably going to fail one out of four. You're going to do well one out of four, one out of five times. Yeah. And that's the game that we choose to play. We're going to fail four out of five times and we think that that's good form. Yeah, that one time you do something (laughs) well. You could make a 90 a year and a half ago and still think that 90 is around the corner. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Good thing about scoring a big score, though, is you always know in the bottom of your heart that you're capable of doing it. Yeah. That's it. Getting the first big score, I think, is really key. It's the drug. That's the yeah. drug that keeps you coming Yeah, back. because it's like, I want it, I've done it, I like that feeling, let me get back to that feeling. Yeah, it's because when you score big runs, you, you know you've won the game for your team. Yeah. Oh, you picked up. When you make, when you make runs, you're, you're the, the guy. You know, yeah, you're the man. man. <laughs> if you're making runs, just keep on trying to make it. I went through a spell last year at the start of the season where I couldn't get out and was making runs. Yeah. And it was just so amazing. Yeah. I distinctly remember that because there was one game where they had 
a catching cover, a catching extra cover, a guy extra cover, and you still hit the ball for four through cover the next yeah, ball. Yeah, I know that shot. And then like a few weeks later, I just nicked off them through covers like three times. Yeah. And it's just like, you know. Yeah. And then and it's still watching it going, why is he throwing his hands? <laughs> Whereas three weeks ago, he's going, oh, gee, he's really good at yeah. driving. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough with that. You recently took the team to Sydney on the cricket tour. Yep. Uh, give us a little short wrap on that. Oh, that was a wonderful tour. That was actually, it wasn't the cricket club, and I want to be clear about that. It was a tour for university students. Yep. And it just so happened that all 14 that we took, um, me being the selector, was involved in the cricket club. Yep. Um, so it was played in Campbelltown, which for those of you who know Sydney, probably the not the most aesthetically pleasing thing. Um, quite a sort of impoverished area, really. Yeah. Um, but we had a great time. And you know how I know we had a great time? is because the first night that we were there, the players didn't really know each other because they were a mix of all the greats. Um, we went to dinner and everyone was sort of nervous and on their phones looking at things on their phones. Yeah, okay. The last night we went out to dinner at Sizzler. We all had the salad bar at Sizzler. Um, uh, not one phone came out for the two hours that yeah. we were there. And it was just constant jibber jabber, jibber jabber. Yeah. You know, a lot of it, uh, I tell you what, man of the, man of the tool was uh, Costa Two Fixes. Okay. That guy is a seriously funny guy. And, and not deliberately so, just he does funny things. You know, like, I'll never forget the story of him taking the um, tin of canned pineapple into the nightclub. And that was his pickup line. <laughs> Would you like a, a pineapple ring? <laughs> so, um, what? <laughs> That's rare to an extreme. He's that a one. rare individual, but yeah. hey, what a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. So, look, great tournament. We um, we finished mid pack. We almost beat New, New South Wales, which is like a really heavily subsidised cricket yeah, program. Yeah. And to lose on the last ball, but then. That was a really good effort by the boys. So um, it did everything. It sort of ticked all the boxes that we want to tick, and uh, great fun. So if you're uh, studying at UWA, these are the sort of things you can get when you're involved at the mm-hmm. club. Yeah, sweet. Like that. You often play music at training. What is the coolest music event you've been involved in? The coolest music event. Uh, I once got a high five. I was front row at Michael oh, Jackson yeah. concert. And I got a high five from Michael Jackson. I thought that was pretty What's cool. it feel like? Very soft. Soft skin. Yeah. Moisturised. Uh, that feels like a very moisturised man, you, you that know, man. You know, like when you shake someone's hand with a really wet fish handshake? Yeah. He's complete wet fish handshake. Like, there was nothing behind his high five. But uh, um, that was at a point where he hadn't quite gone off the rails. You know, later in life, he got pretty iffy about yeah. his lifestyle. Um, at that stage, we weren't really questioning his lifestyle. And he was the most amazing dancer you, you ever, I'll ever see in my mm. lifetime. You know, he, his body can do things that I've never seen anyone else do. Yeah, it was quite the event. Yeah. Have you ever played an instrument? No, no, I'm not musical at all. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, <laughs> my parents forced you to play an instrument when yeah. I was younger. Yeah. I, what was that? I played the uh, flute yeah. in year seven. But you um, said you were playing the piano today. So yeah, you yeah. obviously tinkle the ivories every Yeah, well, we had a piano. And I was like, it's so easy to play now on YouTube. You can just put a song on how to play it and it just comes up. Yeah. You know? Like, you don't even need to know how to read cheap music. So, what, what song were you playing today? Shallow from A Star Is Born. Um, now, okay, okay, that's a really interesting point. It brings me to my next discussion point. That movie really affected you. I listened to the podcast, yeah. it really affected you. 
have you have you brought, come around to your thinking on that film yet? I don't know. It's, oh. It has affected you deeply. You're a different man Even after watching that. Even though, as I say now, I can see that kind of mist come over. Very impressive. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like there's a lot of itchy little red little face going on yeah, like this. Yeah, a yeah. number. You like the, um, but it affected you. It didn't just like you. It affected you, which is good art. Like, that's good art. So what? What was the artistic part of it that affected you? I don't know. I've thought of this for a while. I think like the whole story really got me. Like the first like hour and a half. Like I didn't need to see that. <laughs> I didn't need to see the ending or like it kind of like all gonna shit towards the end because you know what we said like that. Yeah. Narrative arc and whatnot. Didn't even have to say that. I just needed to see the first ninety minutes. Yeah. And the whole setting. Because um, a bit of a love story, I haven't yeah. seen this picture, it's a love story that sort of turns into a bit of a grief. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, two people on different paths collide, collide and then they, well, the, the, the girl who was kind of a nobody before now is like a superstar. Yeah, but he doesn't go on. He doesn't go on, like, he takes her up and then he becomes, like, he's, been, he's always been addicted to alcohol and stuff, but then he kind of, like, finally drops off the edge, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So would it be fair to say that the, the movie takes you on a journey of love and then grief? Yeah, it does. It yeah. So that's the question, my next question to you, Max. Can no, I have a challenge? I'm, 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 I'm here to challenge you tonight. I'm just wasting time here. In your opinion, is love or grief more powerful emotion? You feel grateful as you feel love, but sometimes when you feel love, it's like, oh, I'm willing to feel great for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I'm on that train of thought. Yeah, <laughs> willing to take the pain for the love. Is that right? But like sometimes, like you don't feel that's like, oh, what the hell am I going for here? Yeah, so this is great. Some, I reckon, in my opinion, I reckon grief is vastly more powerful than love. In terms of acting, yeah, if you're feeling great, you'll do, you'll do. Like everything's kind of, like if they're both spontaneous, you'll do more spontaneous things when you're feeling great yeah. than when you're feeling in love. Like you're being like more calm yeah. and calculated when you're Yeah, in love. when you are in your grief state, that emotion state, you sort of your highs are highs and your lows are really low. Like you your energy waves are really up and down. You don't really know what's going on. Yeah. It's like when you're in love, it's sort of a steady little thing, but then yeah. <laughs> sort of a steady little thing. Yeah. Steady little energy yeah, wave. I, so, I reckon grief's more powerful. There's no bottom to grief. You can just spiral. You can spiral out of control. Spiral yeah. and spiral and spiral with grief. Whereas I think love, there is a point where you go, okay, well, there's not more to this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just in love. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear a quick single night. I'm upgrading my time, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, let's see, go. So that's, that's where I'm going to take you tonight, Max. I'm going to take you to deep and dark places. Oh, that's what I'm doing. What are some of your goals in regards to the the career club where do you want to see us get to or where do you what goals did you have when you started as coach well do you want what what version do you want there because there's two streams there there's the there's, there's the version I don't tell anyone and then there's the version that you would get which is sort of like the, the, the I would love the version, the version you tell yourself the, the, yeah not the ones you tell us the don't you don't tell the ones I don't tell yeah but now you're going to tell the one I don't tell my vision for the club for the one I don't Tell too much is got nothing to do with cricket. It's about creating young people who are enjoying the medium of cricket to create friendships and to learn life skills. Using cricket as a vehicle. Using cricket as a vehicle. Yeah. yeah. That's the 
the honest truth of what I'm trying to create, that's the honest truth of what I'm trying to create. The cricket version of it is uh, I'm going for success. Mm. But a lot of coaches will define success as win or loss. I don't start with are we going to win or lose. I start with am I creating good people and good people will create good cricketers and good cricketers will have success. Yeah. yeah. I think cricket does breed like a respectful man. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like there's a lot of values in cricket that you learn that you've got to like that take you that beyond the cricket field. Yeah, like there's a, there's a lot of patience, there's respect, there's a lot of hard there's a lot of like hard work. You break creators, a lot of creators are hard working purely on the fact of like most batsmen have to work pretty damn hard to score runs, and they they take that outside. Well, I think it comes back to this idea: you fail more than you achieve, mm. and. Therefore, to have any success, you've got to be able to deal with failure because by nature, you have to to play this sport. So if you want success every week, you could go and be the best on field in a football game. If you're a good footballer, you'd be the best on field every week. Yeah, exactly. If you're a cricketer, you're not going to be the best on field every week. It just doesn't happen. So you've got to learn to live, live with, with failure and you've got to learn to be very patient. And that's life skills. You know? So again, it comes back to... I, um, you know, my mission is really to create good, the next generation you know, like cricketers who have learned life skills through the medium of cricket. Right. I like that. Um, oh, thanks, Corey. I really, no, I really <laughs> like that. I'm just letting you know. Um, I really needed your approval. Yeah, well, I was Corey. just letting you know my approval there. Um, what are your thoughts about the current state of the Waka competition and if if there is any thoughts about it, how would you change the competition Like any way you'd change it? Um, I would come quite a few different things. Um, uh, and I'm speaking about this at the coaches' meetings next week. We have a group, the, the 16 coaches all get yeah. together every so often, and I'm speaking about this at the coaches' meeting next week. First off, we still haven't resolved a proper heat policy. Um, we still have that issue from that game. You, you were involved, I think, Max, the one, the 46 degree yeah. day, yeah. where um, the bushfire was 200 metres away, and um, the ground temperature was somewhere like 60, 60 degrees, and the fire brigade had evacuated Challenge Stadium and the umpire, in all his wisdom, kept us playing through that. Yeah. Eight of the 11 players who played that day didn't go to work on Monday because your guy couldn't make a decision come off in that heat. And that was in line with the competition's heat policy, which is absolutely gobsmacking. So at, at uh, state level, they've rejected the heat policy this week, uh, this year, and I'd like the Wacker Comp to come in line with that. So mm-hmm. there's certain temperatures you have to come on off at. Um, the other things I like to see lower grades play more T20. They don't play any T20. I think that's absolutely ridiculous when people love playing T20 yeah. and watch it so much. Okay. You know? um, and then the other thing too is, and I hope that we get to this point in the next year or two, is I wish they'd stop sending bowlers back on restrictions. I, I just think that is absolutely ridiculous to restrict bowlers based on some math- mathematical formula that they're applying to every bowler in the competition. Because every bowler is different, and they are trying to pick, pigeonhole every bowler to be one body type with one formula that prevents the injury, and it just doesn't work. And the, the number of stress fractures that we're having in the state bowling system is proof that the system doesn't work. Yeah. My my, I like the one about playing more T twenties because it's like if you don't play T twenties at a lower grade, how do you get good at them to? then go into the first grade comp and play T20s. So it doesn't make sense because it's like yeah. you play Colts at a T20. If you then don't – if you finish Colts and then don't play first grade for another three years, the T20s, 
you've got three years of not playing T20s to lose those skills. Yeah. Like, I remember last year distinctly, like, playing Colts with a white ball for the first time. It's – you hold it differently. It does different things. You have to bowl it differently. And the fields, everything changes. But you play – you don't learn how to do that. Well, it's a, it's a vastly more fluid game. It moves very quickly. Yeah. The, the, the fluid in the game is very fast. And um, uh, you have to learn that. That's a learning skill. And it's ridiculous that we don't play it through the grades so that we learn the skill as it comes yeah. through. The other part to it is – and this is where I get annoyed at cricket – is we're very slow moving at times. You know, I knew five years ago that when you went to a, when I went to a big bash game at the MCG and there was thirty thousand people there for a Stars versus Renegades, I was like, I went to a Shield game last week. No one was here. This is a big bash and there's thirty thousand people here. That changed the, the the cricket that that day. You know, because all of a sudden the market was saying we want to watch T20 cricket. And it won't be long before we're marginalising test cricket and we're marginalising one-day games because the market is telling you what they want. And in business, unfortunately, that's what, that's what happens. When the, when the crowd moves, you have to move with them. And as a sport, we have to acknowledge that T20 is a big part of our future. Do you think, do you think the big bash saves state cricket? Oh, it depends what you're talking about. Like, it is funding cricket. Yeah. Yeah. Is it good for cricket? Not the form of cricket that I played. Okay. You know, the skills are dropping off from what I played. But does that mean that that's bad for cricket? You know, I think the Big Bash is pretty exciting. Yeah. I quite enjoy watching it. You know, I quite, quite I know the crowds enjoy the sixes, and it does take out some of the, the downtime that goes with cricket. But then I also love watching a Test match. Yeah. You know? So I, you know, I, I think probably one day cricket is the one that's going to cop it the most. You know? To be fair, though, I've always preferred, I love test cricket, as that's always going to be the number one, but I think the one day is a little bit like in between. Yeah, There's too many stale parts of a one day up between from like 20 to 30 that sort of nothing happens mm. or everyone's getting bowled out, they don't make it to the 50th over. Whereas like T20, it's like it's over and done with. Like it's quick, it's fast. Yeah. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of fluid, like things happen, there's a rush. Test crash cricket, there's always a buzz of like there could be something happening next. But people also respect the fact that if people like Pajara make like a 250 ball 100, there's a respect to that. Yeah. Whereas like in a one day game, you're sort of just like, I don't really know where how to approach you it. You definitely have a bit more patriotism towards the test team. Oh, yeah, no question. Probably not this test team, but yeah, in general. Yeah. What's interesting to me as a coach though is that the, co- the, the skills are diverging rapidly. So, um, Right now, Chris Lynn will never ever play Test cricket for Australia. Right? He should probably shouldn't be in the one team. Mm-hmm. His technique is solely based around a baseball playing swing. So he's, if you want to get technical, he's swinging between forty-five and ninety degrees. Right? What we used to talk, what we used to talk about when we were training was playing straight, which is basically yeah. playing in the vertical plane yeah. from zero to forty-five degrees. If you watch Chris Lynn and you watch um, Jake Lehman. They now have techniques where the bat doesn't come straight at all. They all they all work between 45 and 90 degrees. Even in defence, they defend with an angled bat. And uh, that technique will never work in the long form because the ball moves too much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's been interesting. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I like, I think there's going to be more and more as we get more money goes into this T20 stuff. There's going to be more and more players who will go from f- first grade cricket just to white ball. Yeah. and to a white ball. Chris Green from New South Wales, an example of that, 
play his first grade cricket in Sydney, then played like the Bangladesh Premier League off a season with the Thunder, now plays sort of sporadically for the Blues in the Red Bull, but plays more white ball T20 stuff, and that's how he makes his living. So I think that's pretty much where it's going to end to, I reckon. What would you do to the Sheffield Shield come to make it a little bit more fan-friendly? Oh, I would spice up the wickets. Uh, I reckon this this sort of pattern that we got into, and I know it was an order from Cricket Australia to flatten the wickets and help the batsmen bat longer, right? It was a stupid order. It was dumb in its conception, and it's been dumb in its act, even in the way it's acted out. Because what we've got now is a generation of batsmen who can't play the moving ball. And what we should be doing is setting up pitches that where we know the game's going to be finished in two, two and a half days. Yeah, yeah look at that. That will make it very exciting because wickets falling constantly for two and a half days just makes for an exciting match. And that's the thing with um, watching first grade cricket. Like, 101st grade cricket is much rarer than Sheffield Shield. Yeah. But it's like so cool. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, the players aren't, like, some players are obviously in first grade are good enough to play Sheffield Shield, but it's like so exciting because it's just the two days. Yeah, and also, it's pretty damn hard. Like, mm. you talk to a state player and ask them, is it easier to make a shield 100 or a grade 100? They'll all say it's a shield 100's easier. Yeah. yeah, because it's a flatter deck. The ball's different. The ball doesn't move as much. It's a different type of ball. It's a smaller seam. Then you come on a grade wicket where it's a bit iffy. Probably hasn't been, if you go down to Gosnells, it hasn't been rolled. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's, you know, a, a medium pacer can hit the seam and it can dart anywhere and you've got to try and survive that. That's, to me, real bad. I think if you look at like how the county system works in England, like they're getting like Surrey and Somerset, like they're getting five thousand people to day day one to day four of their county championships. Their crafts, some of the like some of their decks early from like April to May, bowlers always win. Yeah, and people are packing the houses down to watch it. That's no secret. People like to see, you know. They like to see wickets or they like to see a standout batting performance where mm. one guy makes a hundred but everyone else is falling around. Like that, yeah. that, that kind of, you always need your heroes. I'm going to tell you another secret here, which I'll kill off a later down Thorny will like this. I'm a massive world wrestling fan. Right? You know the fake wrestling? Mm-hmm. And that has taught me so much about coaching and life skills. <laughs> and about how you promote things and how you create narratives to things. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that is all engineered yeah. for a storyline, most yes, of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you watch world wrestling, right? This is what I love about it. Their narratives can make the crowd go crazy happy or crazy mad, and like the evil dude can walk out, and the guys are spitting at him, and the crowd's spitting at him, and booing and chucking stuff at him, and that's emotion that you've created an emotion there through a narrative and that's something that um i try and do in my coaching i try and create emotion through narrative the golf club uh metaphor before or flinging or literally flinging them down at you and walking up to you and telling you're really bad at cricket (laughs) going back and then coming down and going there was a clear distinct one you did last year too it was two weeks before i would have been august you came down the wicket to me and you're like just hit everything for four. It's a half volley hitter for four. Two weeks later, he's filling your balls and going, you just don't have any shades of grey in your batting. And I'm standing there going, last week you told me to hit it for four. This week you tell me there's no, I have no shades of grey. Where am I sort of sitting here? There's the narratives for you. Yeah, I mean, well, you want to credit it. You, you're, so you, so you, think, you think that's mixed messages, right? Okay. But that's clearly a plan. But I'm actually doing that deliberately. 
basically. Yeah. Okay, so I'm doing that to, and this again, my little insight into how I go about things. Um, I'm actually doing that to create confusion in your head because when you walk out to bat, and it's tough sometimes, that can be very confusing. You walk out and face a spinner that's ragging it and you've got three guys in it. That's an intimidating environment where you're looking at it and you don't know how you can get it off the square and somehow your mind has to navigate the way through it. So I'm actually trying to create the mental anguish that goes with trying to perform under pressure. And, and to perform under pressure, you have to eliminate white noise. And most of what I'm saying is right really noise. white noise. Which I've now learned. <laughs> yeah. And if you can learn to cut out that white noise, that's what good players do. So yes, it sounds a bit sounds to you the messaging at, might seem at weird. At the time it was weird. Now yeah. you sort of understand where the we're going. Yeah. There's an underlying methodology to it. Yeah. I think what you said about going out to a few spinners and like um, having fielders around the bat, like think about cricket as well and sport in general. I think why so many people play it is because it makes you nervous, yeah. and it gives you it gives you a feeling. There's an adrenaline rush yeah. there. That's a legal adrenaline yeah. rush. No matter if you're playing backyard cricket or for Australia, you don't want to get out for zero. No. Yeah, like, and I think with with cricket especially more than any other sport, you get that feeling. Like, in my opinion, there's a big like if you get a duck, it's a big thing. But one, you're okay. You get off the mark. Oh. It's 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 still a failure, but there is something that's been yeah. ingrained in everyone's culture about the duck that you go out there with the nerves and you're like, I'm just gonna, I'll be fine once I get off one. If I get off one, I get I to one. The, just the whole feeling is what draws people back in. Yeah, I reckon if you chemically check what was happening when you hit a great cover drive, it's probably a hit of dopamine. Like, has to be. Has to be because it's so addictive. You just want to do it again and again. You know, I'm feeling smacking one out the middle. That's got to be. That's like so many players, um, like they hit a few fours and then they get out two balls later trying to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, that was so amazing. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the odds, like, I don't think this might have been kind of your mouth, Steve, but it's the odds of if you're playing a white ball game and there's three dot balls, the chances of the next ball being out. Yeah. Is astronomically through the roof because someone if they're inside their head they're struggling to cope with what's going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. That's a, a statistic in Sheffield Shield. It's eight and balls in white ball cricket. It's three ball. Really? Yeah, I think yeah, cricket brings out a lot of emotion. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it's just so strange. Like, like yeah, I've seen it. some strange things happen on the cricket field that you and like you talk to blokes. Like blokes who you happily talk to off the field, you get on the field and all of a sudden they're a totally opposite bloke and you want to strangle them. So I played a game with a guy who trained really hard. He was a black belt in karate, very disciplined. He'd done everything right. We were playing a game out in Gilbray. He got out, out for a duck, got clean it, walked off the field, got in his car, took his back home, chainsawed his back and then brought, brought his back back to the ground in two pieces. That's... And that's that's raw emotion. <laughs> <laughs> that's so rare. You players who like throwing stuff around. Oh, last year I'm gonna have to throw Maury under the bus for this. I'm standing in the corner of the James Chain Rooms. Everyone knows where it is. Um, and for anyone lucky to play with me, I'm a very I'm a very poor bloke. I've got my kit everywhere. Mm. I'm sort of padding up. Maury's coming, throwing his helmet on the floor bounced back up and hit me he's turned around and punched the wall or punched a piece of glass and cut his um cut his finger open with the raw emotion and then i'm i'm i've then had to pad up and then 
first aid his hand because it was bleeding. Cricket's more. That's the emotion in cricket. Something about cricket is you're you're playing cricket, but you're also doing other things while you're playing. Yes. Other sports where it's like more heavy breathing sports, you just have to worry about the game because your mind's so. Yeah. Well, you, you play footy. Mm-hmm. In the middle of a footy game, you're not really thinking about anything else. Yeah, you're thinking about um, where's the ball, the ball, and put it to the goal. Yeah. You know? Yeah, just, you, in cricket, you've got seven hours, and you could be staying at fine leg, and you're really just killing time on the field. For You could be doing that for an hour, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so you've got to have something to think about. That's I know I've spoken to you guys about my theories about um, about cricket. That's why I made up all those theories about how, you know, trying to work out whether in the, where in, when in the middle of the game yeah. you you can define how you define whether you're winning a game. Really, they came about because I was bored in the field and I'm looking for reasons to keep myself entertained. You know, so. Yeah, you do learn to um, be by yourself with everything, <laughs> which is good, I think. And I reckon boredom creates a little bit of creativity, 100%. like on the field. Like, like obviously, there's in a day and age we have technology. You don't have technology on the field, so you've got to like create something that helps you it's, for me it's helping anything you can help the team if you're bored on the field so whether that's if you have to do long on to long on you just run long on to long on because you're bored but it just gets yeah, you in the game yeah run. exactly also, i think it's quite cricket is quite helpful in forming your personality so you know like take tommy who's just a, a ball of energy all day right his, and his personality really shines out on, during the course of the day because he just can't control his energy. Mm. Whereas someone like Max, I can always tell when he's a bit bored because his energy drops, he'll start looking in the trees, his, his artistic mind is looking at the architecture of the building. The baseball know. incident last year at Rockingham. I can always t- tell when Corey's frustrated because he's got this kind of um, gate to him when he's frustrated he stamps the ground really hard as he's walking you know? times, yep. I, and I, I really do enjoy picking up on, on people's different personalities as they go about which I'm going to throw another thing at you right now okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this today I, I've got a bit of a theory I've got many theories but I've got a bit of a theory about cheese right about what? about cheese okay. you know cheese, yeah, yeah, cheese yeah. that you're choice of cheese can mirror something in you, right? So I'm going to write down, I want you to tell me what cheese you, I'm going to write down what cheese I think you are, right? And you tell me what cheese you think you are. I'm going to be really... It's hard because there's a lot of cheeses. Yeah, okay. I'm just writing down what cheese I think you are. (laughs) See, the problem with this one's different. Hey, right? This is a new segment. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone from reviewing things to Tim is telling us what cheese we are. You know, coming to me, coming to the show, it's going to be different. That's why our run sheet this week was just, it was just guess questions. Yeah, okay. So, who's going to start? You Corey? Max? No. Yeah, Max. Both of you. What cheese are you? Camembert. Yeah. And Corey? Blue is blue cheese a thing? Yeah, yeah other blue cheese. No, you're not blue, blue cheese. See, I've got a problem because I don't oh, know so the cheeses. Cheese. I don't cheese know the cheeses. Cheese. Like blue cheese is chill when there's a war going on. Yeah, okay. Blue cheese is just yeah. Blue cheese coming in at five for twenty and getting a hundred off seven hundred balls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that. That's for sure. Um, You've got to stay in a in your Italian genre, and that's where you are. Oh. 
I'm not wasting time. First thing off you're talking about. I can't think of cheddar. Oh, no, you're not a cheddar. Okay. I can tell you you're not a cheddar. So, go in your Italian family. What, what Italian cheese do you put on your cheese? See, this is the problem. I don't, no, but I'm no, going to say Parmesan. No, I'll no, say no, Parmesan no. cheese. Okay, Parmesan. Right. Well, I got Max right. <laughs> and, what, okay. and what am I? A buffalo mozzarella. Yeah. What's a buffalo mozzarella? Oh, that's right. that's <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when I, when I was doing it today, I was like, what cheese is Max? Max is definitely candy bean, right? Corey, I had you pick as a mozzarella. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> the new segment on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Me? I'm Giles Boo. I love a Giles Boo. Yeah, but really, what it is, is I used to play a game with myself, is I reckon you pick the cheese that you see. The qualities of that cheese in your personality. Okay. Yeah, and you were always going to be a little bit artistic, a little bit French. You were always going to be on sort of a harder cheese, a little less kind of punch and flavors. Again. Okay. We are actually off you go. Okay. What is your advice to younger people trying to play cricket at a high level? Be patient. The, the growth in cricket is not linear. So you have to go through chunks of periods where you fail and you don't think you're improving and you just have to keep working and working and seeking advice because I didn't seek enough advice. I was too, too cocky to think that I had. At 20, I thought I knew it all and I was stupid to think that I know it all. Um, so be patient. Understand that improvement in cricket is not linear, that you have to go through massive periods of, of learning before you succeed and just... Be a sponge from everyone, from, from older players to coaches. Try and learn as much as, as you can and then learn a technique that you can that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. So. I like that one. Okay. What is your advice to younger people in general? Have fun. Life is difficult. Make sure you have fun. Like, and in your 20s, travel as much as you can. Learn as much as you can. Oh, sorry, it's my phone. Um, Welcome to Stibber's World, people. <laughs> that phone goes and runs Perry Allen. That's Perry Allen calling me. I'm obviously not listening in. We could do a live call with Perry if you'd like to call him. No, we no, could no, give no. him a little rundown of what's going to happen. No, I can travel in your 20s because travel teaches you so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I know Max is about to travel, and I can't wait to see the adventures he has. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. What is something you're looking forward to? Christmas break. <laughs> no, I'm off to Singapore during the Christmas break, so um, I'm looking forward to taking some time off. Yeah. Um, and sort of, I like at Christmas to, to, to take two weeks where I don't think about cricket at all. Um, I, I, there's six weeks in the year I don't think about cricket. Two of them are at Christmas, and around about mid-April to mid-May, I don't yeah. think about Christmas, I don't about cricket at all. Um, and that keeps me sane for the rest of the year. So mm. yeah, I'm looking forward to my two weeks of sanity. Nice, okay. <laughs> I like that. Should we get into the review? Stibber, what's your review? Well, I've got three. Okay. You know I wasn't coming with one. Okay, okay. that's okay. Three bullets, three bullets in the gun. First, Matt Birrell's golf game. Oh, I love this. <laughs> I regularly play with Matt Birrell. And it is, if you've got an opportunity, if you like golf and you want to play golf with someone who's so amusing to play with, Matt Birrell's your guy, right? Off the tee, you, if you, you know straight away if he's feeling it, because if he's not feeling it, he uses a forearm. If he's feeling it that day, he'll use his driver. He generally slices his driver. So he'll try and hit it 
for a couple of holes and then loses rags and slices it to the right. But T Green is a pretty good game, a pretty good game. But it's on the green that it's so much fun. You have never seen a guy miss more putts than Matt Riddle. <laughs> when he misses it, the spectacle of him huffing and puffing is just a sight to behold. He is just so funny. And the things that come out of his mouth are just absolutely hilarious. You know, he's like, he'll miss it and go, Lord, give me strength! <laughs> <laughs> and you just can't help but laugh, you know? Um, so, Matt Pirrell's golf, if I was advice to young golfers at the cricket club, go and play nine holes in Matt Pirrell. It's the most amusing thing you can do on a golf course. My second review is the worst thing I've ever eaten. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the worst thing I've ever eaten, and it's called chicken feet souse. Oh, right? Sounds like the worst thing. It is. Okay, so I looked up the recipe, they just confirmed it in my head, right? But it's basically, you put, put tripe, you know, it's a stomach yeah. bone, into uh, sort of a pickling vinegar, and then you put chicken feet, actual chicken feet, into the pickling vinegar as well, and you leave it overnight, oh. and then you eat it. It's a de- delicacy in the West Indies, particularly in Guyana. And uh, come back the other next day, and the sort of chicken feet fat sort of congeal, and they nibble on this tiny little chicken, the skin off the tiny little chicken feet, and then they eat the stomach trap. I had one mouthful of this. And I vomited straight away. It is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen on the plate or ever tasted. I can still remember physically how it made me feel, and that was 15 years ago. So, if I could give young travellers some advice, steer clear of eating chicken feet. It is just not something you would go to. Yeah. It's not a go to now. Yeah. <laughs> like, strange foods travelling, you're always going to be pretty careful. Yeah. And especially when you go around places like that. Stick to the straight and narrow. Straight and narrow. Stick off chicken feet. The final review is, I'm going to tell you, the most beautiful place I've ever been. Yes. Okay. The most... Well, and actually, Max, I was intrigued about your, your review about the most beautiful place you've been, that you're at the place from Sydney Harbour. Mm. Yeah. What did you like about that place so much? I liked... Everything came together in a way. So I think the place, the best place I've ever been, yeah. also has to have the fortune with the fact that a good thing kind of had to happen there, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's a feeling associated. There's a, yeah, yeah, there's like, a feeling with a view. Yeah. Like I was with my brother, and um, back when we were, like, I was a little kid, me and my brother and two other guys from across the road, we used to always play after school. Mm. Um, the brother was my age, and the other brother was my brother's age. Yeah. And like we didn't see each other. We always used to see each other for like one, once every year because that family moved to Singapore, and then one of them went to boarding school. Um, at my school and then went to Sydney to study. Yeah. And then, so his brother went to Sydney and study after high school as well. Yeah, okay. And then we saw each other, and at, and at that stage, we had to see each other for like two years, but then we were all together in this place, like looking over like Sydney Harbour at night. Yeah, it's the feeling with the moment. Yeah. Like old stories and stuff with yeah, good, you yeah. know? There's an energy. Yeah. 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 What about you, Corey? What's what, was there an energy associated with your favourite place? Yeah, so the energy was... As most things happen to be in my life, something to do with fitness related. So we just walked 120k um, in year 12 on the Bibbiman track up um, through uh, Walpole. Yeah. There's a place, place in Walpole um, called Rams Head, sitting on top of like a big, big um, uh, like um, hill. Yeah. Um, you're sitting right on the top, 180 views of the ocean, like just off the cliff, you're falling, like you fall straight down and mm. there's water. But to get up there, you've got to climb, I'd say 120 metre vertical, almost vertical, like 
hill to get up there. Mm. Incredibly difficult when you've got a 20 kilo pack and I was carrying someone else's pack just to help help them along the way. Oh, that's a great man. That's the reason. So that's the reason. And you're sitting on top. There's an energy with that because it's like I was sitting there with 10 other people in my class and the, the fact of like in that time and space, only the other 10 other people were experiencing the same moment after doing the same thing. No one else ever can repeat that. Yeah. So that's why, and I, or I can close my eyes and still see it and smell it and I can hear it too because it was all like quiet. Yeah. And then like to top it off that night, there was – there was two of us that had to go into a tent because we couldn't fit in the Bibbman, the, the, tr- the huts in the Bibbman track. Yeah. And I woke up and in the, like the, the tent was up. So like, you know, the little bit that comes out of the tent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was rolled up and there was a kangaroo in the porch. sleeping. <laughs> that topped it off <laughs> for me. Off. So that's, that's the reason why that memory and the emotions towards that view yeah, is right. why it's so beautiful. See, for me, relaxation is the energy that makes things beautiful. Me, you know, so um, my favorite place in the world is, is Crane Beach in Barbados. It's this magnificent historic hotel that sits atop uh, a cliff top. It is the and down below is a beautiful beach, it's one of the test 10 best Caribbean beaches. The actual site has been used on many of those soap, soap operas like yeah. Days of Our Lives and Growing Beautiful. They filmed lots of episodes there, and um, the water is just crystal blue as you look down from this cliff top. And, you can sit there as the sun's setting or the moon's rising and you, because you're at the equator basically, you can feel like you can just almost reach out and grab them and it's so big. And uh, um, you sit there with the Mount Gay Rum and I, I used to, I don't drink anymore, but if I was going to drink Mount Gay Rum, yes. and a splash of lime, that's what I would drink. And uh, um, they make cigars in Barbados, uh, they roll their own. So I went to the cigar factory and I sat there one day watching the sunset with a a Bajan cigar and a Mount Gay rum yeah. in my hand, and I thought, life doesn't get better. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how all of these places are associated with water. Mm. Yeah, because water's got that settling nature, and I think that it was a bit of, there's always a bit of unknown with water because it's such a big space. It's yeah. like, feel, what's it filled with? What's in that water? It's that, but I also think water's very calming. And calming as well, yeah. We identify happy places with relaxing places. A bit like when you're banging, you're most happy when you're banging when you're relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon the water is something like... Gotta be past there. Gotta be past there. I haven't done it for a while. Nets, you always get past there. You ask Alex Rose, he counts all his runs. Oh, yeah, yeah. He gets to 50 regularly in the nets. But actually, that, that concept of energy is something that I use in my coaching all the time. Is um, you know, If I say to a team, how did that feel, a good feeling performance? In the book it comes back, it had a great energy about it. Yeah. And this idea of that I, it rattles around in my head sometimes, how do you create good energy in a cricket team? I, I think about that all the time, you know, like that concept of what energy is. And, and people talk about it all the time, the great energy on the field, great energy on the band. But what, is, what does that actually mean? How does that manifest itself? How do you create that? Especially with the dynamic. Maybe like my early district days was just to control the controllables. 
Mm. I think energy in some ways. God, that's such a cliche. Right? Yeah, it is. Oh, it's <laughs> such a, that's such a, like a, that's a media answer. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a making a hundred on the, in, in Shield or Test match and saying a media answer is control the controller. No, but right. it, as in like you can't control whether you get a new car. Correct. Like you can control how much you're speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Like Corey does, does the one percenters. <laughs> it's all about the one percenters. How do you bring your energy? It's a very hard, yeah. It's, but it is, it does come back, for me, it comes back to that concept of energy. How do you create it? It's a very hard thing to create with 11 dynamic people that are. It's even harder to create in a club of 100 people, which is what we are now. You know? So, how do you create and maintain energy, good energy, during the course of a nine month season? Because by the time it's still pre season and play, it's nine months. You know? mm. So, that's an incredible challenge for any coaching group. I like that. Where are we at? Yeah, you run out of questions for me, boys. No. There's some fan questions that I've got to, got there to was answer. A, there was there a fan question from Rob Honeywell. Yeah. He said, can you explain what happened with the, with the Mummy 2? No, I can't. And okay. I'm like, <laughs> There are some stories that will go to that are happy to be told to Rob Honeywell and not, no one's. Have you heard? You might have heard the story. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have heard the story. No. I keep, keep my personal life very quiet. <laughs> um, Mitch Rocher does have a question. Yeah. What does a normal weekday entail for Will Stibbs? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I like to – I think of my body as a vessel. I, I know you do too, Corey. Is the think of my body as a vessel. It's the medium that carries my brain and my soul, right? Correct. Okay. So – I, at 45, have to spend a lot more time looking after the vessel than I did at age 25 or 20, you know. So um, to do what I have to do, you know, to throw balls and come down here every day, um, there's a certain level of maintenance. So I swim a lot. I swim most days in my pool. Um, and that helps me sort of maintain my back strength and my core strength and my shoulder strength. Um, so always I swim as much as I can, preferably in the morning. It's been a little cold in the morning yeah. so far this summer, but... Um, then I'll probably, I'm, I'm not good in the mornings, but my mind doesn't work particularly well in the mornings, right? so I'll wake up. I've, do you ever experience this sort of kind of like your head, you're awake, but you're not really yeah. kind of there, yeah. you're just kind of, you're awake, but you're not really awake? I feel like that till about 10 o'clock, you know, so I know you, Corey, you wake up and you, you're ready to go, yeah. but yeah. I'm not like that, I've never been programmed like that, I'm a night out, so you know, I'll be up at midnight watching something. And, and quite often as a kid, that's I was most focused at one eight in the morning than I was, you know. So, um, so I'll kick in the gear about ten thirty, I reckon. I'll, I really start to do some work. Um, generally, there's some admin for cricket, and then there's my other businesses. I, I'll, there'll be some admin to do yeah. that, you know, maybe some supervision. Um, and then usually by about three o'clock, it's time to come down to cricket, you know. So I try to get here early for you guys who like to train a bit early, and uh, and then. You know, training for me lasts about four or five hours. For you guys, probably only two, but for me, it's about four or five hours. So by the time I get home at eight o'clock, I'm ready to eat and watch TV. I love TV. Really? Yeah. What do you watch? Because uh, I love, it's my downtime watching TV, yeah. right? Because it shuts my brain off. Um, so I don't watch horror because I don't like horror. Um, I'll watch a sitcom. I love my sitcoms. Or I watch sport. Or even wrestling. I love wrestling because it just winds my head back. I don't know how you stay up so late, it's my other thing, but I have a question with staying up late. Yeah. 
Can you run us through semi-final, uh, going into <laughs> South Perth uh, first grade last year final, what you did at, was it one o'clock in the morning? Yeah, look, I, I, did, I didn't sleep very much that whole three weeks, to be honest. Um, because, and I'll tell you why, I felt so responsible for everything that we hadn't been in that situation for 40 years. And I had driven myself so hard for five years to get us to that point. I mean, I really had... Um, People who are new to the club probably didn't see the sacrifices I made early on, you know, the sort of the battles I had to fight to sort of get the philosophy into the club that wasn't there, that is near, there now. Yeah. That, that was a real battle and it took its toll, you know, it was incredibly tiring. Um, and I was lucky that I had allies like Perry Allen and Boz, um, who were courageous young men who stayed the course with me when um, I can definitely say. But, that, that narrative has allowed me to be the coach that mm-hmm. I've been. It allows me to innovate without people questioning. So it's a narrative that I quite like to encourage yeah. because when I do something a bit weird, like bring out the golf clubs yeah. and talk about how... Um, I've actually got a, a Sony Walkman that I could mean <laughs> to bring out to show you that, that it was, <laughs> this was invented 20 years after our last premiership, you know? For reference, last year, just butt in there, Stibber, last year we're, we're at training one day... And all of a sudden, there's five golf clubs sitting on the floor. Some of the boys thinking we might be having some tea off in the red library from <laughs> the nets. Turning turns out, Stibbers pulled out the the golf clubs and gone. This how old's like pointing out to blokes saying how old's this golf club? The, the 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 meaning behind it was this one golf club was as old as we'd won a club championship. One was as much as we won a final. The other one was. We, we won first grade and had the golf clubs there and a few of the boys to start off with like clicked and then this year I think was the was it the bats was it bats, bats yeah I brought yeah. back all my, all my old career bats and even the ones I was kids and the lot the, the oldest one was an SS turbo and um, and that was uh, SS jumbo not SS turbo turbo was the later model um, and that was Still 20 years after. Sitting in the room as <laughs> we speak. Still 20 years uh, post us, us last winning our club championship. You know? So um, I just like, again, I like to sell the narrative of, of, so that people have images in their head because your generation, I don't know if you realise it, works off images. It doesn't work off writing or verbal. You're a very visual generation. So a, vi- a, a vision, like a picture to you, is vastly more informative than you exactly like yeah, you know, look at the social media it's like Instagram the crux of Instagram is to sell a story by a photo yeah you've been programmed yeah like there's a, <laughs> like yeah literally like like social media is exactly Instagram look at the combination of image of the image and then the caption of the like the caption writing is small the image is big which means we've been like yeah that's we've, that's we've, we've been sold by taking photos, like I remember, like I had a meeting with like like someone, someone from like helping, like with the social media stuff. The first thing they said was, "Make your captions small because no one cares about your caption; it's about mm. your photo." Mm. Whereas now, if you look at like the club, the club socials, they're probably three lines maximum, and it's a photo that goes up that makes things like pulls people yeah. in because people are scrolling; they'll only stop for a photo; they won't stop for a caption because yeah. to them, a caption in it time poor world people are looking for photos and quick things instead of reading essays and mm. books no. even though i'm a huge fan of a book but 
Yeah, it's people. Yeah, you do read. Yeah. A lot of your generation reads as much as we used to. We had a lot more time, of course, because we didn't have. Um, I, was thinking, I was telling someone the other day, I did my first two years at university here on a typewriter. So, um, in my generation, we've gone from typewriters to, to your mobile phones, which is basically a personal computer you carry around in yeah. hand, you know. And, uh, um, yeah, because of, because of the fact that we didn't have that kind of level of technology, we had a lot more time to. to Boredom, yeah, yeah, boredom creates creativity. Yeah, we don't, we we're no longer bored. And we would spend a lot of more time just kind of playing. And creating things with your hands. Playing, playing, going out into a playing with our mates, going on a basketball ring or playing backyard cricket or, um, you know, just going down to the bush and trying to find yabbies in the yabby hole, you know, like we would just go adventuring and playing. Your your generation does less of that. Yeah, 100%. Which is, which is because now it's like if you're bored, flick your phone up and read something of something that happens. Exactly. Which is like, which been, that's where we've been now programmed to do that whereas yeah. like we were probably the last ones like max and i because when we were younger we didn't have the phones yeah so that's so right. like we would still get out like i've still got memories of playing backyard cricket five days straight playing proper test matches yeah. with a proper scorecard yeah um whereas like kids now wouldn't do that like because they're on their phones or they're playing that wonderful yeah. game i mean like i shoot a lot of kids now and um yeah, a lot of their life does revolve around Instagram. Instagram, iPhones, tablets, they're lost without their, their technology. Yeah. And that that is a shame, to be honest, because what it's doing is taking imagination out of kids. And, yeah. and, uh, um, I, and I see it, I'll tell you where I do see it, is um, in base skills, hand-to-eye catching. The product I get as an 18-year-old out of school is nothing like it used to be. Their hand-eye coordination is terrible. The ability to catch a ball, I have to spend 12 months teaching that before they end them in use. And, uh, um, and and I think that's that's really sad, to be honest, that you come out at 18 and you can't catch a ball because you've never really been taught. Yeah, I think that one thing that we got, like finishing up my sports science degree in the first unit of the first week, like in the first year, they said, Kids now longer, it was a skill acquisition unit, skill, like kids can't catch, you're going to have to spend, if they're 14, you might have to spend six months teaching how to catch because they have nothing there. Make it fun so they can catch and that sort of hit a few people around the ears like, that. okay, things have actually changed. Yeah, yeah, and they're sluggish, they're, they're heavier and uh, less fit than we've ever been as a, as a group of young players. It's why my pre-seasons are so hard, to be honest, is because I'm trying to prepare you for something more than what you are, you know, you know is that you've done my pre-seasons, they're pretty, pretty long and pretty, pretty hard. Arduous, yeah. Arduous, you know, but it's because the product I get as a first year player is nowhere near the mark and until I put a pre-season, two pre-seasons into you, basically you don't come up to the level of fitness I need, you know, so if you don't play at the elite levels. <laughs> yeah, well, like if you want I'm to... I'm interested to see how Max comes back from his European social and I in Camembert and... A drug yeah, free trial yeah. or, yeah. or winter and summer. No, oh, it's, no. a funny, it's a funny thing. It's like... I know Jack Delaney Shout out to Jack Delaney who's listening right now. I reckon when he's listening back over in England. Uh, um, and, and yeah, I think Hopi's enjoying his life over in Sydney. Yeah, I think he's a bit loved up now, Hopi. <laughs> yeah, I believe so. It's a rumour on the street. Hopi, you can give us a little uh, mention in the, um, the Instagram post once you listen to that sort of when you're an hour and... So I'll tell you a story about Hopi and then I'll 
don't know if we're running over time here or what the plan is, but um, I was coaching Hope in the pre-season. Do, do you know the Karate Kid films? Yeah, yeah, yeah. wax on, wax off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I was coaching Hope in the pre-season, and I've got this this theory, another theory, um, about the requirement of batting, the basic requirement to be a really good striker with the ball is balance, right? And this one of the shots you can learn that really balances you for every other shot is the back foot drive, right? So I said to Hopi, I didn't tell him this, I said to Hopi, we, I really think you can play the back foot drive more than what you're playing. I didn't tell him I was trying to teach him something else. I just said, I think you can try and, so for four weeks, I just fed nothing but short balls into his ribs and I made him try and hit this cover drive from an incredibly awkward position and he hated every minute of it, right? And he was like, I don't know what, I'm learning, what you're doing here. I don't think you know what you're doing. And he'd be like, <laughs> he would just really like paste me and swear at me and cuss me out. And you know, for every for four weeks, we were doing 45 minute sessions twice a week, and for every one of the sessions, he cussed me out. And then um, we got to the, the fifth week, and he said, "I'm not doing that anymore." And I said, <laughs> "He said until you tell me what's going on." I was like, "Okay, I want you to try and hit an off drive now." And he. So I pitched the ball up and hit a soft drive and hit it harder than he's ever hit a ball in his life. And his eyes popped out of his head. Right? He was like, oh. Like, initially, he was like, is that a fluke? And I was like, no, it's not a fluke. So I fed him another one. And 10 in a row, he just absolutely belted the bejesus out of these balls because he was balanced, right? And then, um, so, you know, we finished the bucket and I said, what do you think of that? And he said, you just me arguing me, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Those, I, I think we had that, that same discussion for three weeks straight, Steve, when you blew my front toe out of the water earlier this preseason. And those may words may have come out of my mouth plenty of times throughout that thing. I may actually have... For those who are watching that day, I actually threw my bat in the air, punched it into the wall, just walked around a little bit, huffed and puffed, then continued try to try and what I think I don't know what I was doing that day, but I understand what Hopi felt that day. <laughs> well and truly. All right, well that's pretty good chats, Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate the time very much for coming on. Yeah, no worries, and. Um, I'm glad I got an opportunity to chat to you before you went away and matches. I think you've both done a, a wonderful job with this podcast, and uh, I know that people listen to it, and it's uh, they, I certainly like to tune in every week at the, on a Thursday night, and uh, it's a wonderful innovation on top of the many wonderful innovations that you guys as a, the new generation of university cricket have made. And uh, to all those university players out there, follow that lead. Because this is this this has more room to grow, vastly more room to grow mm. still, and uh, and I I want us to, to go down that path. Yeah, lovely. Right, Thank you very much, listeners. Enjoy listening through the hour and fifteen or so minutes we've got going. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs>